I think a good friend of the show might stop in to give his two cents on what happened. <laughs> Is it Christmas it- already? <laughs> Santa Lennon. <laughs> Dear reader, for once I bring you good news, as last week the chattering classes of this once great nation lost an election, making this nation once again great. Jeremy Corbyn, darling of liberal Islington Castroite sympathisers, lost to Boris Johnson, a man of principle who will get Brexit done, and a man who, in all seriousness, I would let fuck my wife, assuming he hasn't already. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I'm afraid it isn't all good news. In this election, censors prevailed, and finally we have a Prime Minister who can stop the SJWs and carry out the will of the people with Brexit. I should be overjoyed, but no, I am as miserable as ever. Some would say this is because my politics are driven by a churlish, pedantic opposition to people having better lives, but they are mistaken. The reason I'm miserable is because even though we won and got what we wanted, the loony left won't shut up and accept that we won and that therefore it must have been what they wanted as well. Even Even though they lost this election because of their out-of-touch obsessions with the EU and not being racist, they refuse to listen to the working class. And by working class, I refer to the classical definition, which is white people holding a whippet in a flat cap. (laughs) The Corbynista trade union Eurocrats keep taking to their Twitter accounts to bully Boris Johnson, even though he has been democratically elected, which means that the country is 100% fully behind him because that is called democracy. (laughs) If the left proposed ending austerity, climate change and racist immigration policies and lost an election that means those policies are morally wrong that is just a fact i don't make the rules online consensus barons like at communism 69 and at chairman lamau mock the will of the people while the champion of the common man the salt of the earth boris johnson relies upon only the flimsy protection of the entirety of the media (laughs) he avoided all scrutiny they clamor he ducked the andrew neil interview they all cry when in fact the reason he avoided the interview is simple. He would have been asked about things he's said and done and what he plans to do in office. These are the types of questions that are clearly biased towards lefties. Lefties love policies that give people things they want, but this is cheating. The only real politics is telling people they can't have what they want, but hinting that they can have racism instead. But nobody on the Liberal BBC would allow that. Indeed, perhaps the left's hatred of so-called dog whistles was their downfall. After all, how do you expect a whippet to vote for you if you don't whistle for him? (laughs) (laughs) Soon, Jeremy Corbyn will step down as the leader of the Labour Party, and then I will have to start putting shit in my own pants. But until then, I'm occupying myself by reporting tweets that poke fun at our dear leader and his big, beautiful son, Matt Hancock. And also ones which point out the bizarre competition vegetable size and shape of my head, which is violence against me, the most oppressed group of all, white, male and free thinking. I soldier on unto dawn, click after click, post after post, until the number of tweets I've reported is 1,984. Hello and welcome to This Week's Trash Future, the podcast where the title is relevant. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Trash we love, present, we love being relevant, don't we? Mm. Yes. 
We were never uh, wrong about anything, by the way. We certainly didn't predict anything that didn't come true, or not yeah. predict some things that did come true. Absolutely. Uh, we were right about everything, and you should absolutely not go back to the archives to check. Uh, to be fair, we were right about so many things that we didn't even know we were right about. That's like, true. We, we lathed of heaven into existence some real-ass shit. Like, some things we said as a joke ended up being true. Oh, <laughs> uh, one of the... um. Boris Johnson's coterie of charlatans, disgraced party magicians, and pyramid sellers that he's brought into Parliament with him actually does run an expensive food bank app. I so know. I feel like we did kind of lathe of heaven. There's also, so a food bank app. There's yes. also an MP, oh, no. um, a Tory party MP who just entered <laughs> Parliament who has shared stuff on social media indicating that it's a Muslim conspiracy that people are turning trans. Which is true. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, come on. I, if, if, if there's so... any. Yeah, I'm so excited to learn about all of these hundreds of interesting new Tories and all of their various personal foibles. What will they say next? Maybe they will talk about the frogs turning gay. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, mm, I mean, the look, Muslim frogs turning yes. Pakistani. Who knows? Yeah, we, See, um, time was we used to have frogs in this country, but now you've got to make them wear a hijab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the all all the little Damn. all the little boy frogs are being bought tea mm. sets, and it's because of the Muslims. Exactly. The frog um, the frogs are turning the squirrels trans, and that's why the conservatives won. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah, that's why Joe Swinson's euthanizing them. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. It's um the birds and the bees. It's just not enough to capture mm. all of the genders, and yeah. they're adding so many yeah. animals to the birds and the bees now. Um. And most new Tory MPs just can't keep up with that complicated yeah. of a story. It used to be the birds and the bees. Now we've got the birds and the hadiths. Society. Can I yeah. just say, by the way, that I'm gonna miss Joe Swinson, like. Yeah, we never knew what we had until it was gone. Like, we never appreciated yeah. her insane skills wallet-based policies. I, got, I gotta say, Joe Swinson, you know, if Boris Johnson prefigures, you know, a kind of, like, British, uh, I don't know, Berlusconi, mm. Joe Swinson is absolutely an incredibly weird British Pete Buttigieg. I, um, I, like, I, was, I was watching uh, clips today, as you do, and because I was like looking into the Joe Swinson thing, because I, just wanted, I wanted to like pinpoint the moment when like she kind of really lost it. And I thought that for a long time it was like skills wallet stuff. But actually, I think what it was was like this BBC Five interview that she did where someone called in and asked her like, Joe, like, Joe Swinson, what do you think a woman is? And obviously, like she, you know, <laughs> right. And this is like the most. I've been trying to ask my question. wife. <laughs> an extremely normal question. An extremely normal question that happens, like on BBC Radio Five, um, like these call-ins a lot. But you could kind of see how like excruciating an interview that was, because obviously the person who called in like definitely had a very particular like answer. But I don't think that she was really looking for. But she was just looking to kind of like trip her up. And Joe Swinson, in the meantime is kind of like trying to make this very lukewarm case for, you know, so she says something along the lines of, I think women know who they are. Um, mm. And it just kind of... <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> right. People listening and to this. We've got this big database. Yeah. And I was, the, girl, and, the girl reading this. And I, was, and, I was, and I was thinking about this because I was kind of just like, okay, you know, a lot of kind of pundits will kind of say that, oh, it's because she didn't really offer like a policy platform. But we just elected a government which had pretty much no policies and gave them like one of the most handsome majorities of like very like very recent memory. But I genuinely uh, think that like boys. I genuinely think that that moment 
when Joe Swinson was like not bowing to the to like trying like not capitulating to the turfs, like that's what kind of made her lose it. Yeah. But they they were doing protest ballots. They were spoiling their ballots when they were like uh, voting Lib Dem because of it. It was wild yes, stuff. I, oh, yeah. I, I read oh, about yeah, that well, on Glinda. During during a wine in the box instead in protest. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, let's be perfectly honest. The sort of like weird upper middle middle class upper middle class white woman turf thing Mm -hmm. is a hundred percent a Lib Dem vibe. The kind of people who would vote Lib Dem would absolutely be turfs. There is there are a couple in Labour, but by and large, it's a Lib Dem vibe. Completely, yeah. and I don't know if you saw, but in uh in the post mortem for the election that the New Statesman did, you know, which was almost as fucking mealy mouthed and shitty as their terrible editorial on endorsements, mm. Alan Lewis literally basically did a thing where it was she tried to say that Labour lost because of gender. Yeah, it's just like it's just so weird because it's like hypothetical trans Corbyn. Imagine baby. <laughs> being the person that everyone brings on the show because you know somehow you're going to extraneously relate it. To transgender issues, mm-hmm. like, you're gonna say that, that, like you're gonna get mad about trans people, whether it's like people talking about like yeah, the he- floods in Doncaster or like, Helen Lewis. like the fucking corn laws. Somehow Hel- trans people involved. <laughs> Helen Lewis mm. talks more about trans people than I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's so fucking backwards and insulting to be told. Oh well, uh, Labour can't win because of this metropolitan obsession with trans people. When the obsession with trans people is from metropolitan upper middle class white Guardian columnists, it's like so yeah. weird. we, we would have we would have been fine, right? Like, I literally think the American right talks about you know talks negatively about trans people less. Sure, than fucking yeah, ab- weird absolutely. Like upper it, middle it's... class white women in Britain, I don't get it. And Graham Linehan, to be fair to yeah. women, Graham Linehan too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah honorary he's, he's a, woman. Yeah, honorary woman. Honorary sister. Ironically, he is he is the most trans of all. So to be, <laughs> to be fair, uh, trying to figure out information about NHS sexual health clinics via Google, I wound up on Mumsnet, and mm. it's weird because you can find oh, no. old, you can find old posts on Mumsnet, but like the people who have posted like years ago still have like their stuff updated in their profile, and like some of them you can see how like they've updated their signatures to be like really insanely turf stuff. But um, a friend of the show, Abby Wilkinson, had a similar thing because she recently had a baby and she was looking something up and she had actually asked, she'd posted and asked a question on Mumsnet and it turned into her getting banned from the forum because she's not allowed to say the word cis. Like, you can't say cisgender. It's fucking Chardonnay de Beak. It's amazing. They are stricter in enforcing the ban hammer on people for saying forbidden words than Guido Fox's comments are about slurs. Amazing. It's unbelievable. Fun Um, fact, by the way, my gender clinic that I go to is co-located Located with a sexual health clinic because there's no budget for two buildings. So oh, wow. in, so you rec- like co-located yeah. with mum's net. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's almost as yeah. awkward because the reception is half very nervous-looking trans people and half dudes with like embarrassing itches. It's <laughs> so, wild. Mm. So if well, you, there's some overlap between the two. Yeah, that's <laughs> if you, true. Uh, if you want, uh, you're just going in you the wrong door. The gender uh, yeah. of bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, I just wanted to get this dose of the cla- dose for the clap, and I've come out mm. and they've cut my fucking dick off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you're cured of your chlamydia. Yeah. Yeah. You just assume my STI is gender. Um, 
Right. So, uh, pulling us back on track for a, for a moment as we uh, as we come to grips with the future of our country, where yeah, eventually every happen or every every single uh, service will be combined into the same building mm. until the sexual, like the gender clinic and Trident, are all in the same building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it's, and it's a Virgin Megastore yeah, for some reason. It's, it's 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 a shop. It's co-owned by Richard mm. Branson, and yeah. for some reason, Apple. My dick is now a mini disc player. I'm not even really sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're um, MP3s have been banned. Uh, we don't know why. Mm. Uh, no, no. So, um, look, we, uh, we, we, we've had this this election. Boris Johnson is the, the, was re- was returned an enormous majority. The far right is emboldened and on the march, and we, as the left in Britain, are left asking, you know, what do we do now? And there are two answers that have been immediate, widely shared and praised in the media and are obviously wrong that I'd like to talk about and get out of the way right now before we you know, talk about the rest of this stuff. Mm. First, it, it just prefigures, this is prefigured by some of the uh, turf stuff we were talking about earlier, which is the resurrection of blue labor, which promises, quote, a socialism which is economically radical and culturally conservative. For I, for me, Patri, awesome. Yeah, they, Yes, they, they, their logo is their motto is faith, family, flag, and they're saying, "Look, we could do socialism. It just has to be all white people." Imagine getting excited for flag. By the way, <laughs> it's not even a good flag. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I gotta say this as somebody who's from a country that really, really loves fucking the flag. Uh, I, at, in a way always thought that like other countries flags were cooler but the british flag is quite frankly kind of gaudy and dog shit who, dog shit vexillology and, and people who have flags everywhere like it just looks really like it's weird as, as we've talked about on the show before it's very confusing when you come here because you learn to associate especially like national like like constituent nation flags like the english flag as mm. being like racism symbols but they're also football symbols and so it's like sometimes they're the and same there's a lot of overlap there yeah <laughs> but but right there is this there is this assumption i think it's very mm. It's very appealing to people like um, Paul Embry. To pe- well, no, to people, <laughs> even to people like Helen Lewis, who want to say that labor was too, too, too inclusive, woke. too we, quickly, we, yeah, too woke. We, we went woke and we went broke. Like, yeah. mm. that's the idea, right? Which is weird because, like, legitimately, the manifesto didn't address like that that wasn't a concern there weren't any policies Two that you even called it sentences about trans people and one of them was bad was a turf talking point yeah. one of them was literally a turf talking yeah. point about women only spaces like it's just it's mad and so it's it's just so strange because it's like what about the labor platform was too woke like there isn't anything there's no. nothing you know what would be bad you know what would please the blue labor people more is mm. if jeremy corbyn had written 72 virgins in 2004 mm. that's, that's what's yeah. different about the conservative platform is that there's someone at the head of it who was able to say to people hey i have all the same things as you you know like, yeah. and, and that's one of the things i think right one of the thing one of the lessons i think i'd like to take from this election is that um it's important it's important to say to highlight that you know Boris Johnson's ludicrous, ludicrous history of just cartoon racism. But, as evinced by his dad, as well as his own yeah, writings. The but, handshake meme, but it's him and Charlie Hebdo. But you always <laughs> have to, re- you have to remember, right? Like, you know, that just be, that was a selling point for some people, but 
it by no way does that mean that that should ever be a selling point for us if we're ever going to consider ourselves concerned with any kind of justice at all. No, and it's it's, it's so tedious, right? Because like Blue Labor's idea seems to be that you could have the exact same manifesto, but page one and seventy-two point font was you're allowed to say the word, and we would have won by fifty <laughs> points. But it's strange. Well, for in me the beginning, too- the word was with God, because the <laughs> I, I guess the thing about it is, is that. Like when you using the expression woke as in the inverted, you know, the, the, the scare quotes, white people using it as a pejorative to make fun mm-hmm. of literally anything that's meant to address social justice, like even when it's completely inappropriate in the usage, um, there's nothing in the labor manifesto that, that really, it literally all mm. it does is it doesn't do racism. Mm. The manifesto, yeah. the manifesto, if you want to use it pejorative woke, like asshole columnists will, literally it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's the absence of any demonizing or any harassing. Mm. They don't demonize migrants. They don't demonize trans people. They don't demonize the poor, people on benefits. They literally just talk like affirmatively about like improving people's lives via the state. And so for them to turn around and say that, it's just so weird because it doesn't even meet the criteria of whatever like imaginary straw man, Daniel Hannon fucking like social justice warrior character they want to use. It literally isn't there. They've Mm. imagined it in the absence of any hateful rhetoric. Yeah, it's because they it's because they they want to like scupper the program, right? But I feel like if there's anything that we've really learned from this, it's that like policy was entirely irrelevant. Like, I mean, I think that you know Corbyn as a, as a leader had a lot of shortcomings in terms of like the way he was like sure to be perceived and all that kind of stuff. And I think like this election was basically won and lost on two things: a personality and b Brexit, right? Like mm-hmm. those were the two defining factors. And our manifesto could have been like literally fucking anything; it didn't matter. We would have achieved the same result. Like the manifesto was good. The Tory manifesto said literally nothing, mm-hmm. but they won because all that matters to people was Brexit and like oh, I like the funny man with the silly hair and I don't like the jam grandpa like well, that. Yeah, you know. well, I, mean, I, I, I have a third thing to add to that, and that's the media, right? Like. If any one of those things had been knocked out from underneath it, then I think we'd be looking at a very different result. If the Conservatives had managed to not avoid all possible scrutiny for weeks at a time. Even more than that, I mean, I think that's something that may not have come across to American fans or people who weren't paying attention to the media coverage the way that we were. Yeah, people don't, Americans don't understand how trusted the BBC is or was. And and how, how completely... To, for lack of a better term, like black mirror levels of complete insanity, it went. Like I've never seen a th- like such obvious, just incredibly slanted, incredibly biased, like to the point where like they weren't even trying to hide it. Levels of just utter bad faith and total lack of scrutiny on one party, like to the point where they were just endorsing the conservatives and demonizing the Labour Party nonstop. Like uh, Boris Johnson's just just one example of him showing up to to put the wreath on the cenotaph on Remembrance Sunday, putting it on upside down, apparently being like disheveled, fucked up, drunk, according to people who were there, and then just deciding to use footage from three years prior because it made him look better. Like we're talking, we're not talking about Vladimir Putin. We're talking about fucking Turkmenistan levels of insane. And that's mm. the thing that really, I feel like if you weren't paying attention and you're not here in the United Kingdom, like that's, I think a thing that, that really is going to be one of the defining features of this election for people on the left is that you realize that every aspect of capital in the state mm. came down to be like, no, you will not get a fair hearing. Mm. And it was so, it was, it was like being nonstop gaslit the whole time. Right. And I was going to actually say that this is actually like, even in the aftermath of this election, it still, it still feels like there's like a ton of gaslighting going on. And I'm sure like we'll talk about sure. this more. Um, but like the whole idea of like when, you know, just kind of like the number of like very emboldened people who on the one hand kind of say that, oh, 
like I feel really sorry for all the people who are going to have to like suffer under the Johnson government. But at the same time, this is all Jeremy Corbyn's fault for like again various reasons. So we have like the fucking mm. like uh you know full revokers who are kind of saying that oh if Jeremy Corbyn just like pressed the big re- like Brexit button like it, everything would have been fine. And you know or you have like again you have like the Paul Embrys of the world who kind of take that position of well we just had to like be more racist and less not like less good trans people and what's kind of really scary is that like i was thinking about this the other day like i don't see labor like not kind of going down the road where it will just end up being carved in the face of paul Embry, right i think like i think i I, mm. I don't i don't actually see like any other outcome except for that I'm I'm I I disagree. I mean, we'll get into this later. The the one other thing I wanted to say about the BBC was, to a certain extent, I think it reflects that how much uh, Labour and Corbyn and Corbynism had unsettled capital, because the BBC like being impartial is sort of a liberal article of faith. It's why you sound like a crank if you talk about it being biased, um, and mm. that. BBC reporters were willing to put their thumbs on the scale that much is really uh, revealing, I think. But I'd like to sort of respond to sort of two things that have been brought up. Number one, uh, just going back to earlier what you said, Milo, about policies, like the, the, the manifesto this time didn't have the same story as 2017. 2017 was organized, streamlined, it told a single story. 2019, we told the same story, but we threw in a bunch of extra policies that just didn't seem... So that weren't connected to that story, but they were still all individually good policies, like free broadband. But I honestly, I don't think you can say that it was it what that policy didn't matter because the thing that got us, for example, like what sixty percent of the under thirty vote, under thirty five vote, like it is that policy mix. And with if we were just running a centrist campaign, I don't think we would have even got we wouldn't have got near that. Well, especially not second. with a turnout. No, no, I, yeah. I agree with that. Sorry, I would just, I would yeah. just add that, like, I think, yeah, the policy platform definitely energized our base because it was a good platform. But it just like those voters that we needed to win over, like those middle ground voters, like they weren't well, going to be won it, over by policy. And, and, they, they, and they also yeah. just didn't believe it either. And I think a lot yeah. of it had to do with, in my opinion, a lot of it had to do with the fact that Jeremy Corbyn uh, had record unpopularity, and so the idea, like, they basically were said, well, Jeremy Corbyn's saying this, but we don't trust him, so. But weirdly, we trust Boris Johnson. But secondly, right, mm. like all of this stuff about the media, uh, I, I hate to say it, for me falls into the category of true but not interesting. Because it's true that it happened. And it's true that if you want to have a socialist pro- program, you are going to upset capital and they will deploy, deploy everything four square against you. So what we have to, as part of the whole, like, let's not stop being socialist thing, we have to learn that like, well, Okay, the media is going to be the media is going to be pretty against us. So what we yeah, so we that, have that, to do that's good for radicalizing people, though at least. But we we have to. It means we have to do it differently. It means we have to find ways to get around the media or or fight them in the air as well. That's why we've launched gettingyourdicksug.com. Well, kind of. I mean, to to destroy the media, we have to become the media. But also, I would say too yeah. that that compared to 2017, the BBC wasn't necessarily great to us then, but this was so much worse. Yeah. And so I think that mm. there was an expectation that once you went into campaign mode and impartiality rules kicked in, that we were going to be able to win the argument because we had 
had the policy and they didn't. But instead, the, the, the way that they, they, they nominally obeyed impartiality rules is that they only cover coverage. And so what they did was they just, they, they used the insane right-wing press, basically read the insane right-wing newspaper headlines and was like, wow, what a dumb policy. Labor's so dumb. They won't be able to do this. What a joke. Are you going to nationalize sausages? Like they just mocked it nonstop. And that technically counts as coverage. But I think the disconnect between the 2017 election's coverage on the BBC particularly versus this year was so stark. And I do think that there's one of the lessons to be learned here is that they were so rattled by the outcome in 2017, they decided this would never happen again. And they've basically spent the entire intervening period of two and a half years doing as much as they possibly can to make Corbyn, Corbynism, labor as toxic as possible. Well, let's be clear who we're talking about. We're talking about they as well. Like what we're talking about is... Well, yeah, the you BBC have to put your hands up to the microphone when you yeah. say it. Mm. <laughs> no, so what, what we're specifically talking about is... Um, like 20 people no, it, what we're talking, in, we're talking, in one group chat. We're not, we're not talking just about 20 people. We're talking about the networks of like think tanks and senior journalists. We mm. said this on our on the Thursday episode. It's the senior journalists, the think tanks, people who have a comfortable class position, people who are willing to indicate that their business will go on capital strike. Like we we even said this in the episode about right wing think tanks with James Meadway. There's no necessity for mm. the forces of conservatism and capitalism to organize, or at least not in the same way that we do, because yeah. in a capitalist system, capital is self organizing. Mm. So they don't. At no point did you know the head of whatever think tank need to call up Laura Koonsberg and say, by the way, make sure to give Corbyn Brad bad coverage. She wouldn't be in the position she was in if she wouldn't give an insurgent socialist campaign yeah. bad coverage. And I think the more we have to understand that, that there is no conspiracy to expose, the conspiracy is right there. It's mm. out in the open. You know, it's it's yeah. all it's and it's not even a conspiracy. It's just yeah, it's these just people have the same interest. Interest, yeah. It's just class yeah. interest. And also, there were a lot of useful idiots. Like I think, like Andrew Neil kind of fell into that category where he was like, "Well, I've never before like gone to interview someone in an election campaign and they've not shown up." And it's like, yeah, but can't you see what the fuck is going on? Then like go on TV and say like, "Yeah, he's cynically, deliberately not showing up because he's dodging my questioning." Like make a point of it. Like they're just being like, "Oh well, I'm sure he'll turn up." Like this kind of like I don't think it's like a they're kind of not in league with the Tories, but they're just like failing to call it out for what it is. Um, and a lot of people now are sort of being able to say, yes, well, if you remember who had the backing of the sun and who had the backing of the mainstream media and who had the backing of capital, it was Tony Blair. Yeah. Why mm. can't every candidate be Tony Blair forever? Why can't yeah. we just keep mm. re-electing this smiling fucking uh, like assassin? <laughs> Yeah, well, and this was the other thing that infuriated me about all the kind of like Lib Dem and mad centrist columnist things where they were going like, oh, yeah, good job on good job on going. We won the argument, Corbyn supporters. Now that there's five more years of the Tories. And it's like, well, yeah, but first of all, a we fucking did win the argument. Like, it's not our fault. Yeah, that's but, like, why they didn't make like, a counter. No one listened to us. And second of all, like that is literally what all of those cunts have been saying about Brexit for three fucking years. They've just been crying their eyes out going, but we were right. And the dum dums have won and we were right and no one's listening to us even though we were right and then suddenly just because like someone they don't like is right about something and unpopular for a change they're like oh yeah good job dumb dumb oh you're right well no one gives a fuck it's like yeah you're a dick well also i think the there in the in the sort of pure electoral politics of 2019 i think that's about right but also like mm. the, i think the idea that we can that 
the lightning in the bottle, like the very bad lightning in the bottle, but the lightning in the bottle that was Blair and New Labour can be bottled again is mm. ludicrous because one of the reasons that we lost basically sort of so many constituencies between North Wales and the Midlands, the Red Wall, whatever you want to call it, um, was that uh, they have these, a lot of these people have a memory of voting for a Labour Party that continued the process of industrial decline that was set off by Thatcher. So, I mean, the the rot wasn't new in twenty in twenty fifteen or sixteen or seventeen, eighteen or nineteen. The rot had set in for a long time, and one of the reasons that New Labour was very successful was that there was still lots of state left to 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 privatize mm. or at least in, introduce internal markets into, if not outwardly privatize. And like I take, and in fact, I know there are going to be some New Labour people listening to this nah. um, because they said they would. So, hi everyone. Mm. Um, but like I honestly I think it is it was at best it was at best a sticking plaster and it was a victorious sticking plaster and there are people who I've talked to who said you know what like you know fun the just the fact that Blair reversed decades like or a decade and a half of funding cuts under like Thatcher and Major and stuff like that did actually just help a lot of people materially but it didn't change any of the of the structural problems that the rot that was input by Thatcher and that began to set in. So the idea that you can go back to when we won elections by reviving the electoral logic of the 1990s is also patently ludicrous. Well, it's, it's just that tweet that the, the, the problem's very bad, the causes of the problem's very good. But yeah, I mean, when you think about new, new Labour not really using its mandate to fix the material conditions or the economic issues in places like in North Wales and in the Midlands and places like that or in the North, and the loss of Scotland post-referendum in terms of there's not being the ability for Labour to win seats in Scotland anymore, given the conditions there, it's, it's becoming incredibly difficult for Labour to win. I mean, I don't, I don't foresee in our lifetimes there will be a time when Labour wins 418 seats like they did in 1997. I just don't see that happening again. Well, also, the other, the other thing, right, is that um, Tony, Tony Blair, when he was running, was in living memory. He was running against someone who, in living memory, basically technocratically and unnecessarily brought the UK to an enormous amount of humiliation through the European exchange rate mechanism scandal. Like that's one of the reasons I believe the Sun sort of fell in behind Tony Blair because the Sun's a nationalist paper. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if people should should read into this, but basically the flash crash in 1992, I believe, um caused a recession and it was literally just like it was th their failure to attend to uh, an, an issue that related to the currency exchange mechanisms within the EEC and the United Kingdom. And it's like, it was completely avoidable. And in a way, there's they times when I- They forgot to hit the no, the no recession <laughs> switch. They, uh, they, the, right the, next um, to the stop Brexit button, the, uh, which no one knew what it did back then. The president of yeah. Venezuela was missing and he brought the hyperinflation lever. But also the oh, thing too, no. I think is that, I mean, there's a possibility that you might see a similar thing with some, you know, because I think it's a very British phenomenon uh, to have a problem and no one pretend to see the problem until the problem is literally like the house is on mm -hmm. fire. And I think, you, I mean, I think it's possible within this parliament, you're going to see something similar with regard to Brexit because, you know, we lost, we lost the election and they can do hard Brexit now. So, that, so they have to do hard Brexit. They have to do, they're going to bring us out of the EU. They're going to have a transition period. They're going to have to negotiate a free trade agreement. And mm -hmm. there are going to be things that are out of, a, that's no longer a question of like, stop Brexit, Jeremy, or like, you know, have a wooferendum or whatever the fuck. Like, it's going to happen. When is, when is the next recession due again? Wooferendum. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's likely going to be a recession, you know, in, in the coming years, given just a historical 
patterns and B, some of the indicators with investment. I think there has been a lot of pent up investment that hasn't taken place in the UK because of the uncertainty. And so you are going to see some of that. But like, I don't think, think that like business CapEx Keynesianism is going to make up for a recession, the kind of recession that's coming, especially in a place with low wages, low wage growth and low productivity like the UK. Especially mm-hmm. because most of the investment that's happening now is just different rideshare companies trying to out-subsidize one another in, yeah. a, in major urban oh, centers. Yeah. Various scams and it's just, it's just, yeah. and things. It's, it's, at this point, it's not like someone's going to invest in some kind of, I don't know, material condition. They're not going to invest in something material. They're not going to invest in something that gives anyone a steady job because the only profitable investments are monopolies that you can try to build by undercutting either workers' rights or regulations. That's that's not wholly true. There is one material thing we still produce. We still produce weapons. Uh, True. So oh, we're, yeah, we're, we're yeah. going to export a lot of missiles. Oh, uh, well, here's the thing. Boris Johnson, one of the plans is to fold uh, DFID into the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. So essentially what we're going to start, what we're probably going to do is what, like, do like Sally May, but for buying like awful fighter jets. <laughs> Incredible. You love to see it. What I've heard is they're going to put all of the civil service into like a van that circuits the, the city. And what it actually does is it makes the policy <laughs> as it's taken <laughs> to where it's to be implemented. <laughs> Efficiency. It's still going to be spearheaded by Matt Hancock. Oh, oh, one actually, one last thing I want to talk about about the blue labor thing, just to remember, rem, just to remind you all that it's complete and total horseshit that social justice and um and and, the, and working class interests are not commensurable. Uh, and this Nate, you brought this up to me. Dennis Skinner, um, is an unfortunately lost mm-hmm. his seat in Bolsover after forty nine years was, in Parliament, and he was yeah. a minor before him. He was yeah. a minor who stood fully and uncompromisingly for gay rights in the 80s and he mm-hmm. he is a basically he's a working class hero and he's someone who was like beloved by his constituents and he didn't have to resort to like bigotry in order to get it you always have to mm-hmm. remember that bigotry is always the second prize when you're when you're sort of when you're desperate and politicians are offering you something but i think one of the things we learned and we'll get to this later is that it's hard to convince people to give up bigotry for uncertain prosperity when they yeah. already have bigotry. Mm. And aside, aside from aside from everything else, like just on a practical level, the Tories are the racism experts. They are the uh, like uh, absolute best Doctor racists. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And given the choice, if you are a racist and you are offered the choice to vote for a racist or a light racist. You just mm. vote for the racist, and you just yeah. vote Tory. You don't vote for the the Labour MP who is aping the Tories, because otherwise Ed Miliband would still mm. fucking be prime minister. Yeah, I also remember this is now kind of a kind of a deep cut, but like when when Trump won the election, I remember that like a few months later they had a they had a guest on Chapo. I can't remember who it was now who was talking about like why it is that like working class people in the South vote for Trump when it's just like manifestly against their interests. And he was like, well, the Democrats aren't doing anything for those people either, but at least with Trump they get to own the libs, and that yeah. is like a consolation prize. Whereas like with the Democrats, they just get nothing. They don't get to own the libs, and they don't get anything. So like there's a now that's like a misconception because like labor would do a lot for them but the previous incarnation didn't so that and that reputation is set and and also even today the local level uh labor councils corbynism has not percolated down and so you end up with a lot of these sort of northern heartlands where the labor council is 
I don't know, some guy who murdered somebody in his yeah, club the, in the seventies yeah, and the, got away with it. <laughs> Hello, my name is uh, my name is uh, Paul Francis Ingridsman, but you can call me PFI. <laughs> yeah, it, it's literally <laughs> like ve- ve- various mm. sort of like spivs and uh, gangsters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, labor councils in the north are sort of the legitimate businessman social club, right? <laughs> but they're, they're all buddy Cianci. <laughs> yeah, <Jesus> Christ. <laughs> they're, it's um yeah like. You you were saying earlier, Nate. Yeah, they're just labor councils in the north are all just Mayor Quimby. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> Jamie Corbyn, he's working for the old firm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a, it, it's one of those issues also where, I mean, like, in those places, labor's been in power locally forever. And so, you know, th- that's what people associate with local government is the Labor Party. Here's the thing. You know, the two two, lo- two local authorities that were in pretty leave areas that, that, stayed, that stayed labor, mm-hmm. Preston and Plymouth. Now, I will say this much about Preston. Preston has a university. It's also got a significant non-white population, but that does, it's certainly a leave area. And like, there are other places that didn't return their their labor MPs. But I think Preston, Preston Scott, because of its university, has Mm -hmm. a spike, uh, if you look at its its census, in people under 30. That's Mm -hmm. not normal for other constituencies in that area. And that population voted overwhelmingly for labor, not just Mm because they're students. Across the country, even people who aren't students, people in that age demographic voted like, I think, 60% 60% for labor, 65% for labor. So but also also Plymouth has like heavily co like my, like Preston has the Preston model and Plymouth also has heavily cooperatized industry. So these are mm. two places with pretty good labor councils that are actually concerned with like building the building the power and improving the living standards of workers as much as they can where I think like a, manif- a manifesto of the kind that we put forward probably did cut through a bit more because you are you you don't have to you don't have to take the you're not asking the voter to take the leap into socialism with you they've already sort of been brought onto it a little bit locally mm. and because- i mean th- this this sort of goes the other way too is that if you want to do electoralism in the wake of this and you want to triage the worst of what's going to come down from Westminster, the best thing you can do is to become involved in local politics because mm. almost every councillor stands pretty much unopposed within the uh, within their own party. Um, you, you can like genuinely build something from the ground up that's quite powerful if you have the mind to. Also yeah. the money, because councillors don't get paid shit, to yeah. be honest with you. But yes. look, we, mm. look we, the, the Corbynism... Unlike podcasters. Corbynism was, was basically an attempt to try... And engage in a socialist transformation from of Britain from the top down, and right now we have five years before we can try that again. What we have to do now is understand about you know building it from the ground up. Mm. You know, it's, and that's it's going militants again, which. <sighs> Well, that's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be councils doing stuff like like Preston, but it's also going to be certain things that like um, Alex Sobel is proposing, like yeah. turning like late. No, to be fair, John, John Duncan actually proposed this, and Alex Sobel kind of jumped on it. Oh, friend, friend of, of the show, John friend of the Duncan. show, John Duncan. Mm. But, but but I'm gonna say something too, though, that I think is really important to bear in mind is that you're gonna see a lot of comparisons to Millicent. And so for for U.S. listeners or people who aren't aware of this, in when Jim Callahan lost in 1979 the general election to Thatcher. Uh, at that time, the left was, if not ascendant, was very powerful because of the trade union movement. And there had just been the winner of discontent, which, you know, in the view of historians, probably lost Callahan the election because he could have called an election in the autumn before. He didn't. They called it in for the May of the next year. And Thatcher won after an entire really, really long cold winter of intense strike action across the country. Um, 
So the, le- the, 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 the labor left, the you know, organized, unionized left was really active in those days. And um, there was a lot of what you would describe as Trotskyite or far left entryism into the labor party in local councils, et cetera. Back in the days when the local councils had a lot more authority than they do now. And after their labor, labor lost in 83... Uh, they lost their. Th- the, they had more seats than we have now, but Thatcher had a larger majority than than Johnson has now. Uh, but it was a complete blowout, and basically the left that was sort of the discrediting of the British left in 1983. Um, but you got to realize something. I think you're going to see a lot of comparisons to to militant um, when people talk about what's going to happen next, because obviously there's going to be a desire to purge the left, or like nominally they're going to make they're going to make motions as though they can try to do that, and and they're going to use the justification of you know Michael Foot fucked it in 1983, and so you know Neil Kinnock had to purge the left. But if you look at the manifesto for the Labour Party in 1983, it is far far more radical than anything Corbyn proposed. Corbyn proposed in 2017 and 2019 policies and a, a sort of view of the economics of the country more in line, probably directly in line with what was proposed by the SDPLP, which was the spoiler party, the centrist-ish spoiler party that wound up contributing to Labor's loss in 83, 87, and 92, the, the progenitors of the Liberal Democrats. Like What Labor was proposing in 83 was like unilateral nuclear disarmament and unilateral withdrawal from the European economic community. The SDPLP was just social democracy. And I think the thing about it is the Overton window has shifted so much. British politics has shifted so much that like what Corbyn was proposing, were, yes, it's a transition towards socialism. But like if you're defining socialism as Finland, mm. to be fair, we call it socialism because it's, 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 it's in a tradition of radicalism. But honestly, it wasn't that radical economically. Yeah, but and, that doesn't matter. No, but, but mm. what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say, though. When Tanky say that Corbyn is a liberal, they're not wrong. He's, he's a social democrat. Exactly. But the point I'm trying to make here is that people are going to say they're going to there are going to be a lot of comparisons to 1983 and they're going to try to like use the sort of weight of history to discredit Corbynism. But like the fact of the matter is what the economic policies proposed were were not that far left in the tradition of leftism in Britain, electoral leftism in Britain. And like there's no reason you should accept that framing that the same thing that happened after 1983 has to happen again. Anywhere in Northern should. Europe, it's completely banal convention. Like, it's it's only Britain where we have the insane fucking, like, oh no, any kind of redistribution is mad Stalinism. One thing I will say about uh, Millicent is that, like, yes, a lot of it was crank stuff. But if you go back and look at newspapers, a lot of the scare stories about, like, Millicent councils were just things like, oh, they're teaching your children about gay rights. And that's exactly yeah. the sort of, like, that's how it was pitched. Um, yeah. Damn, Helen so, Lewis really has had a long <laughs> career. <laughs> so like, don't, don't. It's like, honestly, like, don't, don't accept the framing, but know it's coming, and they're going to try to use the justification because they don't. A lot of these people, uh, like, there are some people, uh, like you'd call labor moderates, like who actually do seem to be reaching out, right, out to, and trying to understand the left. But then there's also people who, on election yeah. night, the like agro-centrist piss diamonds who were aggressively sharing Neil Kinnock's 1983 yeah. conference speech about like let this never happen again, basically saying that we have to purge the did, left because yeah. that's what they wanted. Did you to see do. David? Yeah, did which, you, did good you see, luck with that. Did you see David from like posted a bunch of just like Tony Blair memorabilia? <laughs> oh yeah, like photos of him in front of number yeah. ten. Like missed this guy yet? Like the Abu Ghraib. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so I, I, I also, before we carry on, I just, I do want to go back to that thing Alex Sobel stroked, like John Duncan said that Alex Sobel also the, the, is saying. The John Duncan, Alex Sobel hive mind. Yeah, the mm. John Duncan, Alex Sobel hive people, mind. People be saying it. Which is essentially that like, and I, I don't know how convinced I am by this, which is that, look, 
we need to start reaching the labor party needs to start reaching into people's lives and improving them or at least offering pe- to improve people's lives now like make every labor party uh local labor party office also a like versions of the citizens advice bureau help people organize tenants unions like get all of this stuff done and i think that on the one hand that's a very good it's a very good idea to like to do that and to show and to, again much, kind of like the Preston model you have to show people that there is a possibility of life outside of contractualized market relationships but on the other hand like that seems like it would take a completely enormous amount of organizing and resources on the part of a party where a lot of the people are in it because they have neither time nor resources also something I point out too is from speaking with people and I, I want to expand this conversation by actually interviewing some of these people on the show people who are involved involved in labor's community organizing units and things along those lines is that as I understand it from conversations I've had, one challenge you will face, and I don't think that this is a bad idea, but I do think that it's something to bear in mind, is that if it's the labor food bank, if it's the labor childcare crash or something like that, if it's the labor whatever service, a lot of people will be scared away by that because they see there's there is reticence, not because labor is toxic, but because explicitly politically affiliated stuff is going to be toxic. And so you have to understand that like yeah. there's gonna building community trust is going to take a really you'll, long time. You, you'll and wh- get a lot of like uh, people in the observer writing about how it's Chavismo. Or yeah. like yeah. well Hamas well, distributes food, so you know, mm, shit like that. Yeah, our and, friends in Hamas. And the best I guess the best thing you can do in that regard is is that I, I think that you just understand I'm not gonna try to give like prescriptions here because I don't know any more than the average person, but I would just say I think that like understand there's gonna be a, a significant mm. amount of wariness. Well, the thing is, like British people don't like politics. They think it's icky. Like this is like a, this is like a classic thing. Like I've seen that like with my like talking to my own mum about this election. Like, like if you if you now like elucidate her any of the issues that's being caused by the Tories, like you know, like people not having to go to food banks or like disabled people having to like go and do like ridiculous manual labor jobs because they're being found fit for work or whatever the fuck it is. Like she'll be like, yeah, that's really bad. We should do something about that. But you won't elucidate her to the point of being like. God, we've got to do something about the Tories because that's politics, which is icky. Whereas like helping people is good, but like helping people isn't politics. And I think that's that's a lot of people in Britain that really summarize a lot of people like they don't want these things, but they're like they're unable to formulate it into like a political mindset to them. That's just like a problem. Well, what I was going to say was that so there was like quite an amazing tweet um, the other day when I think like someone from the Sunday Times she uh, and the Sunday Times is a paper that obviously like backed Brexit and it backed. Well, I don't know if it backed Brexit, but it definitely backed Boris Johnson. Mm. It's a right wing um, paper. It's a right wing paper. And one of their kind of leader writers, who was also, I believe, like I don't think that she was Tory, but she was definitely like uh, very like anti Corbyn for like lot, you know, for kind of the same the reasons that we've kind of gone over. Um, she puts out this tweet basically saying that like you know the Sunday Times appeal would be to kind of help homeless people to help homeless children and. It was just like remarkable because it was just kind of like, and I at the same time I just also remember that Ian Dale, who is a commentator at the BBC, also like anti Corbyn, I think kind of more sympathetic to the Tories. He decided that like his LBC charity, like Christmas charity, uh, bit would be to uh, spend a week living or spend like a night living uh, as a homeless person. Um, oh, yeah, I saw this, right. and then when people were kind of donkey on him, basically saying that like you know. Number one, this is like fucking shit. But also, like, if you really want to do something with homelessness, like, you have a government that is actually like has a credible plan to mm. like, or has like a party that has a credible yeah. plan of like actually reducing homelessness and actually like trying to reduce mm. poverty by like building more houses. 
um something that he just wouldn't acknowledge like he actually just like blocked people who would say that because like god forbid you criticize him when like he does his kind of little bit because really what he wanted was just like he really just wanted like gratification from his media friends like you could see that the only people he was engaging with were like fucking bbc5 um commentators right it's it's basically like they want they want a sort of Dickensian concept of like a, a single charitable mm. person is going to solve this problem as opposed to right. like it well, being they, a problem that the state right. caused and the state they, they, they want to be able well, they, well, they, yeah. they just mm. can't envision that like oh you can actually have like a national program that like everyone can pay into and that we can like we don't we and this was always the goal this was always the goal mm. of privatization and balkanization of all of these services was to make people forget what a government program looks like and what it can actually Greater do suburbization well yeah uh, kind the, of. Other, the, the, the other thing is right like if you if you if if we solve there's a fundamental belief i think at the core of a lot of british like middle class people a lot of liberals as well which is that if we solve homelessness as a problem collectively through policy then i don't get to help the homeless i have been mm. robbed of my opportunity yeah. to spend one night outside to like raise you know 20 mm. pounds if you have a yeah. class analysis it is inimical to a kind of a vice and virtue one and these people mm. love their virtue so yeah um, also there's two things i'd say about this which is first of all fun fact about ian dale at the edinburgh fringe this year he famously hosted a series of panel shows one of which was i mean they were all cursed but one of which was alistair campbell's daughter grace campbell and fat maud friend of the show um so i feel like you, we we get exactly what we expect from ian dale and the second thing is i think this also just ties in perfectly to that whole thing that happened with nish kumar during the election where he was uh, doing comedy at some charity thing for like the homeless or the poor or some 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 sort of like relevant to austerity charity event and he made some political joke about the Tories being shit and people were like booing him and throwing bread at him yeah, because I, like I don't know oh why. we want to help the poor or the homeless or whatever it is with our like big fancy charity dinner but we don't want to actually do anything that would actually help because a dinner comedian. is more fun yeah Sorry, go ahead. If I were um, a political comedian, I would simply not accept the invitation to perform at Gammons for Peace. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's also like having a dinner, you can like have fun and hang out with your friends and maybe like get a little bit drunk. Whereas yeah. like if you just pay your taxes, then that's sort of boring. I yeah. mean, it's legitimately, it is the tweet about I'm I'm socially liberal, but fiscally conservative. The the problems are bad, but the causes are very good. Yeah, so like... Uh, and and then also this week, one of the fucking idiot right wing people, I can't even remember who it was now, tweeting about like, how dare they mock the Tories on Have I Got News For You? Famously radical show, <laughs> Have I Got News For You? Because they're elected. How out of touch are these people mocking the elected government? Like, A, that's their job. And then fucking Alex Keeley with an excellent tweet was like, uh, comedy is about agreeing with the government and the more you agree with the government, the more comedy it is. <laughs> well, this is, this, is, this is the whole shtick. This is why Brendan O'Neill... The Brendan O'Neill's victim victim shtick still works in this government, even though he politically has literally everything he wants, because the one thing that you can't elect is being widely liked and respected by by like and Sandra giving you the kids back. Mm, like, um, yeah, there, the there are a couple of us. there there are a couple mm. of more things I'd I'd like to get through here because I've got a, a few more thoughts. Columnists for justice. <laughs> Just <laughs> like that. Oh no! I think uh, there are a couple of other other thoughts I've I've had that I'd like to share as well. Uh, I think that first past the post definitely fucked us over, but mm. not in the way that most people are saying it did, which is that the Tories mm. get more seats for fewer fewer votes. I actually think that we, first past the post fucked us in 2010. Yes, because we should have been pesacified. We should like the Labour Party as it as it was full of the baggage that it had 
full of the baggage of the continued austerity and institutional rot of new labor, but also full of the baggage of like, you know, like 60 year old women knitting an Israel did 9-11 tea cozy. Like <laughs> mm. we need like that baggage on those two sides. George Galloway's official tea cozy. <laughs> <laughs> like think about think about this, right? Like we one of the reasons that Jeremy Corbyn had to be leader, despite like you know, the fact that he there were a lot of there were a lot of problems like with him that we did mm. our best to solve and we did our best to combat. Yeah. Like one of the reasons that he was leader was because, you know, he's someone who was a he was a he was a socialist from a different era, mm-hmm. and we were trying to marry the the young a, a younger sort a younger kind of, of a more energetic say less uh, and, and a socialism with a less checkered past. Sure, well, right? th- this is the problem, right? With uh, with with Corbynism as a political project now is that it's the the pool of socialist Labour MPs and especially what credible ones with like leadership aspirations is not that deep. And now they're like mm. almost all tainted by association. Um, and also, like for viewers in Scotland, this process is vastly accelerated because now there is one Scottish Labour MP who is uh, Ian Murray, who is a gigantic centrist dickhead. And it's yeah, no, it's it's a spent force politically in Scotland. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So like, are, are the only credible so- they, the all the people who were popular, pol- media polished, and like savvy. Who sort of who came up sort of in the '90s and 2000s and so on, who had like professionalized operations. And when I say operations, I mean just like 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 just able to like respond to press releases yeah, you, quickly. You and had stuff. to be a Blairite yeah. right? because that was yeah. the only game in town. Yeah. <sighs> so they yeah. they were all they were all completely out of the question because like we want a socialist government, mm-hmm. and the only credible socialist MPs were like hopeless. It turns out. Many of them were hopelessly naive. Not all yeah. of them. Like I, I don't think De- I don't think mm. Dennis Skinner was naive. I don't no, think but it, I don't think John McDonnell was naive. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't prime ministerial. Like when people said that they couldn't yeah. see Corbyn as prime minister, it wasn't just the smears, right? He mm. his his natural niche is as the backbench MP who is on the right side of history about everything, who takes on every lost cause. Uh, and always gets to say, I told you so. That doesn't marry mm. up very well to a sort of broad base electoral politics. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point, saying that, like, I think naive is a good way of putting it, because I think people have tried to paint it as malicious, and I think I'm very ready to acknowledge Corbyn's shortcomings. But, I mean, I talked about this a bit in the run-up to the election, where, like, I was really, really sceptical about Corbyn when he was elected leader of the Labour Party. I was incredibly sceptical about it because, yeah, I didn't think he was electable and that's kind of ended up being borne out and, like, there were a lot of other things I was sceptical about. But actually, over the period of time of just being, like, so involved in constantly talking about politics, like, you kind of see this guy who, like actually believes in the shit that he says and that's kind of his weakness in a way yeah, like absolutely. so that's why people want to support him because like this guy like yeah he's not going to be like a fucking like lightning statesman like obama or someone right he's not going to make great speeches or whatever but like you get that guy like on tv being interviewed about fucking social justice and you can tell that he cares about that shit and he wants to make it happen and like that kind of should be enough and it isn't enough and fine we need to do something about that but like it's so ridiculous all these people like just kind of lording over you being like how could you support this guy and it's like he's demonstrably a nice guy he's been on the right side of these debates he believes in this stuff he like spends all of his free time trying to make his constituents lives better like how can you just like shit on him so much just because he isn't fucking a great like, orator like part it just, of the thing yeah. right is that because he had that focus on foreign policy and because he was doing 
doing that for so many decades. British people don't like to admit that we're the bad guys internationally, but we absolutely <laughs> fucking no. are. And the problem is that if you try to go into British foreign politics with a genuinely principled stance, you will end up agreeing with a lot of people who we are killing. And so you can, yeah, you can be like, he's he's the Hamas guy, he's the IRA guy. And it sticks. I think, yeah. And I, so Alice, Alice is like definitely right. And I was actually going to make that point. But I also think that like because Jeremy Corbyn had like a very long history with like, you know, groups like Stop the War and like the kind of Iraq War process and stuff. And I think we underestimate just like how many kind of media people like were not on that. Like we're still kind of like very sympathetic to the whole idea that, oh, you know, the Iraq War was like a disaster, but it was just a mistake. Like anyone could have made that mistake. Um, like John Rental kind of is like at the very extreme end of those things. And like, you know, so we make fun of him because of that. But, you know, I'm I'm always very surprised of like mainstream media colleagues who are kind of willing to sort of give those things, things a pass, almost as if they can't really explain it. But then when they're kind of confronted with like Corbyn, who has this like very different view of what foreign policy is, and he also has like a very deep like understanding and knowledge of like the kind of like you know, the kind of uh, wars against socialism in the 20th century. Like these are things that a lot of kind of media class people like just don't know or they have like a very simplistic kind of stance on. And the thing about like Boris Johnson is that like Boris Johnson almost like represents the opposite of that. He wrote like this kind of fawning, but like massively inaccurate book about Winston Churchill, probably like while he was doing his like fucking stupid novel, um, you know, but like, people like you know media people kind of see that and they're just like oh he has like such reverence for this country he has such reverence for you know the great statesmen of this country um never mind the fact that like really what it is is it's like they you know churchill and like johnson come from like a cut from the same type of class right this is very much still like mm. about wrecking like with you know, johnson is like a buffoon but he also for like lots of media people for lots of think tank people he also like is recognizable in like yes. what class position yeah. and, he's and, in and he he, he genuflects to the right things like showing up drunk to the cenotaph is uh, a less a, a less grievous offence, right, than than doing it mm. while being a socialist or having said yeah, anything yeah, yeah. nice about the IRA or anything like that. And, well, and, like, and the, also, the, the showing one... up drunk to the cenotaph <laughs> just makes you seem like a member yeah. of the royal well, family. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, but like, the, like the, when the are one, they not there was, drunk? <laughs> there was one quote unquote woke policy in the manifesto that I think really did threaten, if not actual voters, then. I guess, uh, media people. And that was the, in the education section talking about uh, including some of the uh, not great things that the British Empire did. Uh, that And that was, I, I feel like that was just almost religiously unacceptable to a lot of commentators. It's also funny because I remember with all the friends of the IRA thing that people are always smearing him about and that I think it cut through really badly. I remember watching an interview with him where he was questioned on that and his response was, and I'm, I'm almost almost verbatim quoting it because I was struck by it. He said, I was a politician during the time when the troubles were still active. The British government was trying to pursue a military solution in Northern Ireland, and we knew that that was not going to work. I wanted peace in Northern Ireland. I knew that we needed to engage with the people who you know, were seeking political representation, but at the time were doing that by, by combative means. And I feel, feel like in the long run, that was borne out by the facts that we, mm. you know, went with those same people that we were speaking to and engaging with, went on to be people who helped broker peace in Northern Ireland, the, the, and that, the, the, and, and it's like, yeah. what's wrong with that? There, 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 is, one thing, right, there is there is one thing that's wrong with that, and that's the saddest part of this is that uh, the reason why he talks to the IRA and he talks to Hamas and that is because 
as 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 you said, he, he you have to give them an incentive to commit to dialogue and uh, a peace process because you have to give them some hope that that's going to work. And the defeat that we've just been handed and the election of someone like Boris Johnson would only seem to indicate that no, in fact, it doesn't because the Good Friday Agreement is dead. So why even have bothered? And now Northern Ireland has more pro-reunification or at least uh, nationalist, nationalist mm-hmm. MPs yeah. than ever before. A- absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, so- and like, I, I, I hope, I hope very deeply that the intervening decades has softened sectarianism in Northern Ireland to the point where if what I think is going to happen does happen, it doesn't reignite the troubles. You don't see loyalist activity mm. turning into paramilitary activity. Well, the, th- the thing is, whether, whether it does or not, do you really have any faith that Preeti Patel or whoever takes her place is not going to redeploy troops in Northern Ireland? None whatsoever. No. I absolutely <sighs> believe that they'll... And that's... I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, Ireland has advanced as a country and Northern Ireland has stayed quite stagnant. And I don't know if there's going to be as much incentive for the the north to stay as part of the union and i think mm-hmm. the really weird thing about it is is that just as you know young tories and people in boris johnson's team are the kind of folks who write fuck the nhs on their t-shirts at parties i think there are people who will say fuck the good friday agreement they don't care mm-hmm. and i honestly don't believe the thing is pretty patel is a fucking ghoul but i don't believe that they are committed to anything besides power and if that means abandoning the loyalists in Northern Ireland, they'll do it. They've already done it. Mm. They did it to the DUP. They'll do it again. Yeah, and and Nigel Dodd's lost his seat, so lol. Yeah. Well, well no. it's because like the, they're, we talk about, right, like like one of the reasons why sort of England and the US, and England specifically in the US, have consistently sort of been the villains of the last sort of century. I mean, it's because, you know, English nationalism in particular is just one of the most vile and pernicious sort of for forces in in the world today and in history. Absolutely. Well, and we, so, we generally, like in terms of historical impact, have made Hamas look like a fucking crash. There's no, there's no getting away from that. Um, no. And you have to, like, the, the cognitive dissonance between those two things, between the we did this, uh, like the t-shirt on, on that power protesting about war crimes investigations that said, bloody Sunday, no apology, no surrender. Uh, which I, Nate, you summarized once as war crimes. I did them, and I was right to. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have this cognitive dissonance between, yeah, between yes, we mm. did it, and it was good, and we do it again, and none of this ever happened, and we're quite nice and progressive now, actually. And yeah. you can't as opposed to mix those two together. Well, you can though. You can because, Fine, but my my point is that it is in- yeah. an inherent contradiction. No, you can't mix them mm. together for long, but like that's what Cameronism was. Oil and water. Basically. Mm. Like that's what that's the whole point of like liberal Toryism was all of the bad like, stuff R- happened Riley, earlier. Not, not to be too yeah. call me book club, but the thing I'm trying to articulate here is a dialectic, and you know what that is, and you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's dialectics, baby. Mm. Whereas the good t-shirt is, of course, Bloody Sunday. Perfectly encapsulates the frustration of a Sunday. <laughs> 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 um Right, so I there's uh look, I want to get into another another point, and this is one that was raised to me by a friend of the show, Phoebe Roy, uh, and I think it's basically accurate with which with how we should think about this. Mm. 
And she said to me, it's a leftist impulse and tendency to look inwards and waste a lot of time on internecine squabbling. And maybe it's more useful to see this as a victory for the right in a global context than a failure of the left in the local context, because focusing on failure of the left locally rather than success of the right globally Mm. only leads to triangulation on issues of social justice, economic justice, and so on, because it locates the problem in the wrong place, right? So it says, like, oh, the the left, there is, if there's a global resurgence of the right, and you're just imagining that the left couldn't persuade voters because the voters are just too damn racist right. or whatever. Mm. Too damn racist. Too damn racist. Then what you've essentially done is you have committed to the idea that the wave of right wing uh, of right wing populism sweeping the world is more or less like exogenous. Like there's not much you can do about it. There's not much you can. And and, it, and it's, it's just also the way people right. naturally are. Yes. Yeah, that it's right and it's the mm. way people are. You don't have to accept that, that premise. Uh, yeah, and, and the yeah. fact that we did get owned and everybody saw us got owned uh, does <laughs> does not necessarily mean that uh, er- everybody in fucking uh, Lee or wherever else is just an incipient fascist waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah. but we're actually laughing, so yeah. it's fine. That's true. Um, we are. Yeah, we're we're not yeah, mad I mean, about like- this. Is the thing. I mean, today I did that fucking tweet where I was like, oh, I'm excited for the new leader of the Labour Labour Party just to be like a big flat cap on a policy platform <laughs> of like, you know, bring back smoking in pubs and dog racing. And even then, I still had just like people replying to me being like, what's wrong with dog racing? And I'm like, for fuck's sake. Nothing. Nothing. Just, just I, like, I, just... Well, I mean, maybe there is something wrong with dog racing. I'm not an expert. Yeah, but like, that's not really my point, is it? Yeah. Like, my point is just I mean, how this, dumb this, that is this, as an this, idea. This, this Labour leadership thing has been a tonic to me, though, right? Because I I feel like we all had a couple of days where we were depressed and we were angry because we got owned. And then, thankfully, along come our old antagonists, the Labour right, to pull us up out of this gutter by being like, hmm, well, actually, what if you did some market-based racism so that we can get, the en- <laughs> get energized to say, no, fuck off, that's a stupid idea. And like, it, yeah. it is a motivating factor to remain involved in the Labour Party if only, if only to keep someone like fucking Jess Phillips out of the top table. <laughs> oh, good God, Jess Phillips. Well, I, what thing- I will say about Jess Phillips is all of the worst people I know love Jess Phillips. <laughs> like all of the people I know who know nothing about politics and she just have like completely like venal interests yeah, of yeah, yeah. the kind that are like, oh, I don't care really about justice for anyone, but like I just want politics to be nice again. Like those people all fucking love Jess Phillips. And that motivates me so much to keep well, Jess the Phillips thing out is, of office. I'm so excited for her to. Uh, launch her bid for the leadership and then get owned because even aside from the membership, which I hope stays the way that it is and is comprised largely of people who are not Corbyn loyalists because there shouldn't really be such a thing, but people who at the very least are progressives uh, whether whether that remains the case or not, the fact is that almost all of Progress and like uh, the 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 labor rights. Jess Phillips's uh, supposed colleagues fucking hate her. She's insufferable personally. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, hmm. Just yeah, that's going to be some Schadenfreude. I would say like the, the politics of this of the Jess Phillips school. The, the Jess Phillips school of politics is basically just <laughs> the Jess Phillips make- free school of politics. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> Jess Phillips Academy um, is basically just it, it. What it does is it tries to do a tiny little bit of social justice, maybe mostly rhetorical, while making compromises on everything so that things can stay basically easy. Right. Like, mm. but like 
um, getting your like if you if you're going and getting your nails done cheaply by a trafficked Vietnamese woman or living with the confidence that you can say whatever slurs you want because you know blue because blue labor types like think they're inherently working class or like centrists don't really want to be robust in issues of social justice, mm. um, you know that. That, that, that politics is sort of nice from a status quo perspective because no one has to do much change. Yes, but it's lots like, of people have to. It's like Michael Bennett when he ran for yeah. president, saying, "If I'm elected, you'll never have to think about me again." Yeah, it, it's it's the politics. It's <laughs> politics that's very. That's true. He did do that. Yeah. But it's politics. It's a political outcome that's very pleasant. But oh, it, it's only ever the the bottom of the payoff matrix, right? Because mm. even if these things are 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 true, and people are doing them because they like them, it's still silly. Because if people are doing these structurally harmful things to make themselves yeah, feel better, or ha- because it's easy in the short term, have you considered then, that that doesn't matter? Because what if the prime minister yeah. was nice and she was your friend, unless yeah. you're trans? But but that's the thing. Like that's then we must never stop trying to solve these problems and forcing people to seek solace in these things that are causing the problems to be worse. And this is because, outside of its transparently moral dimensions, socialism is about ultimately optimizing the long-term payoff matrix. It's about making things <laughs> better by actually. Posters. Yeah. Mm. No, well, this is this is this is for the audience. The long-term you know, payoff saying, matrix with like, a very complex yeah, pill. On, on, the, like on a, the one hand, our goal is the happiness of all mankind, and on the other, uh, we're going to optimize the payoff matrix. Well, that's why I said, mm. Alice. That's why I said, outside of its transparently moral dimensions. Uh-huh. It's about mm. make. It's about removing these short-term comforts that make the problem worse, like the the, yeah, the, it, the ways again, that let if, people if, exploit if, one if another. If I'm gonna keep owning you with revolutionary slogans, then like, what about bread and land? That's the same deal. Um, and roses, mm. yeah, and roses. But I think ulti- ultimately, right, there are going to be a lot of obscurationist charlatans that are going to be telling us for the next however many months that all of these problems are natural and not worth solving, or in the case of blue labor, good. Yeah, we've, we've right. had all of these antagonists, these new antagonists, introduced by the writers of Britain, season 27. Mm. So now I have to know who fucking Matthew Goodwin is. Uh, oh, man. Just, uh, you love to say yeah. that. I'm so excited for us to get to know the new crop of Tory MPs. Oh, yeah, we, we, this is Trash Future season two. Like, I feel like if, yeah. if we put a season break anywhere, it's here, and we like yeah. slightly tweak the theme song. Something like that. <laughs> so, so, but basically, what you're saying is like Trash Future is like going to be Prison Break, because like, because yes. isn't this like the thing of Prison Break? Like the first season, like it was about them breaking yeah, they out, break of prison. out of the prison. But, but, and then they, yeah. no, 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 but like at some point, like they had this plan that was fully in place and everything was good, and then like one thing fucked it up. So yeah. then they kind of decided, and then they decided, okay, no, well, we just got to go like fully insane now. It's 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 dumber than Prison Break. It's lost, right? Like the, the plot twist to just spinning out, and they're getting dumber and dumber and dumber. No, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. It's season five of Bones oh. when they realize that they can't just keep doing the same procedural shit over and over again, and so Bones has to find a body. That's wait, is this a half chicken man made by the Department of Defense? And that's wait, like there's a seri- no bones in it. That's a, and that's a serious possibility. Yeah, that's like entertaining for the characters for like for like twenty minutes of the show. Mm. Like that. That's where we are now. We're in season five of Bones, and we're just going to try to do the best we can yeah, with it. Amazing. I, I, uh, <laughs> yes. I just I t- Aurora Borealis. <laughs> I just I just wanted to add on the note because that that just that slogan of if I'm elected, you'll never have to think of me again. I think that is such a good. Yeah, like, it has the opposite of effect because you can't stop yeah. thinking about it. 
Yeah, but then, but then, yeah, like, what are they doing? Why don't they want us to think of them? But that also just made me think of this anecdote that uh, uh, a, a Russian friend of mine who's a comedian woman once told me that she was at a party and uh, a guy was hitting on her and he was like, hey, do you want to have sex? And she was like, no. And he was like, hey, listen, like, what if? He's like, if I just put it in halfway and then if you don't like it, I'll take it straight back out again. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like it's the political equivalent of that. <laughs> can I just slightly downer here on this oh, note? Can I just say... So I, I think it, it it bears mention on our parts that there were definitely some things that we got wrong or some things that like Riley and I had this conversation before we started the show that things that were like nagging doubts and suspicions about the the election specifically, but also some of like the the project itself with regard to like how things were going and decisions made. And I I don't think that, you know, a a a a a team of more or less irony podcasters who cover british politics is, is responsible but i do think that there are some things where we need to consider like what it was what were our assumptions and what mm. what did we like none of us thought it was going to be this bad right exactly i thought when the second mrp came out that a worst case scenario was that they still had a tory majority yeah i i, I thought and that i never thought it yeah. would be this bad i, I thought lib coalition for sure um, so yeah, sh- sh- show us what I know, but yeah, I-, I legitimately thought that too, Alice. I thought that we were either going to have a hung parliament and the Lib Dems would go into coalition or that they would have a small Tory majority and they'd be able to still yeah. push through their deal. I think the thing about it is here is that because it's so bad, because so many things went wrong, there's a large question, you know, of like, you know, do we need to reassess our preconceived notions? And I guess to me, the thing that comes out is I was never wedded to the idea that Jeremy Corbyn was the savior. I was wedded to the idea that the politics he represented uh, were the politics that aligned closest with my beliefs and that I wanted to see someone who, uh, as a politician, that I trusted to not waffle or fucking hedge on things that mattered. Um, And I think the problem that we have is that there's now a question of, okay, but they got spooked and decided to fuck you and now you have to defend not just you can't really bring back Corbin or Corbinism, no, but what you can't you need someone you, who is unfuckable. But you can't mm. you can't well, let that's them, quite a lot of people in the what, party. What they what <laughs> they want to do is is to use this defeat to discredit all of everything that it represented. Not just the man, not just the politician, not just the team, not just the strategy, but literally the entirety of questioning, yes. you know, this is no, yeah. there's no alternative. We, we have to go uh, back th- to the brains experts that brought us Ed Miliband with the 30% vote share. And, and, and exactly. And the thing mm. about it is, that obviously, the vote share was higher than Miliband. It was higher than, than Blair in certain elections. But first past the post and the dynamics on the ground fucked us. But I think the biggest thing I want to say here is that we have been told, people are trying to tell us that all we can go back to now is managed decline. Yeah. And that's it. There's no such thing as any kind of hopeful or transformative or even like regenerative politics. All we can hope for is managed decline with a little racism, but not too much racism because like we're not Just, Tories, just, just on a personal it's... level, the labor right and uh, center, I guess, their contempt is such that because they believe that they are the, the owners of this party, right? One of the things they will never, ever, ever forgive Corbyn and that whole project for is introducing... A hundred thousand new members into the party. Uh, that that's a bad thing. More than that, I think they introduced like three hundred thousand. Either and, way, and, they want you out. Is the thing. Yeah, and the thing about it is that I really want to point out is that I think you can have a, a like something 
that bridges a little bit of the soft left to hard left gap that will work electorally. But I want to put this out there just FYI, because you will see this stuff circulated around. There are two places where left-ish or like pretty towards the left, even for their respective society, governments have done quite well electorally and you know are, are being touted as these massive success stories, or at least massive electoral success stories. They are Denmark and New Zealand. Now, I'm, I'm leaving out Portugal because I think Portugal is a great example of what I would like us to do. But Denmark and New Zealand have left governments that are like left populist governments that are being, Denmark and New Zealand both, are being incredibly cruel towards migrants and refugees and immigrants. And that's the thing that like that electorally, Jacinda Ardern is, is, is a very warm and wonderful and welcoming politician, but her party's platform is to reduce immigration to New Zealand. And to not accept refugees and to generally yeah. be hostile to immigration. I, 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 Only billionaire immigrants. <laughs> Denmark, 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 Denmark is even Den- worse. They're doing Denmark straight up Nazi shit. Uh, yeah, we've Den- had to put all the Muslims into learning to be Danish camps where mostly <laughs> just have to eat bacon yeah, every they, day. They, they, they take your jewelry away from you up to a certain value if you try to uh, seek asylum. But also they make you sit through like a patronizing Carlsberg advert. Just <laughs> amazing. country. So, so I guess the thing I'm trying to say is that, one, and Riley, you brought this up earlier, is that people are going to propose blue labor, basically socialist policy with like nationalist chauvinism. And I think we have to fight against that because that's, there's mm. going to, there, there already seem to be people who are conceding to it. People that, you know, that we respect or at least are like, you know, uh, commingled with and it politically and it sucks. Yeah. We, it we, really we got yeah. through the forced failure boss fight and now we have a new objective gamers, which is to fucking, like, (laughs) absolutely keep these people out of any position of power in the Labour Party. And, and like, any any left-wing platform, like, fundamentally has to be based on principle, and, like, there's no point being on the left if you're going to, like, compromise on the things you fundamentally believe in. Like, you can compromise a bit around the edge for electability. I think that, I don't, I think there's many people who aren't tankies who would argue with that, that, like, you know, you can form a sort of, like, slightly uh, softer yeah, left like, coalition like or whatever. The, the DSA candidate for Congress in Texas today who tweeted, many people are getting mad at me for saying that I wish Barack Obama got cancer. Well... Here's why I'm uh, right, and I'm like, but, uh, okay, that dude, that is epic. But also, you're running for Congress, and we can all yeah. read this. Like, yeah. like the thing we have to not do is is we have to not post cringe. We have to not post uh, cringe. Like that. Not mm. lose subscriber. Do not post cringe. Do not lose subscriber. Um, mm. and your only subscriber yeah. to your private snap. <laughs> yeah. So you know. Yeah. And and that means that we are going to have to think about what what practicality means without compromising those principles. Because, Nate, mm. what you said earlier is you don't, you don't want to bring up Portugal because they're an example of what went well. We don't know how that government is going to go. Mm. And if the left in Portugal gets rat-fucked by its soft-left coalition partner, then obviously that's not going to be a viable choice for us. Mm. But if they don't get rat-fucked, then we might need to find a way to work with the, not the center or the right, but just the soft-left. Yeah, the squishes. And see... Yeah, the, hmm. the soft left squishes the pre Viagra left, and just see it and see if like what we can do with them without compromising any core principles. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I mean, one thing I will say is, for the day after the election, I was really I was on the fence about the Labour Party, especially still being in Scotland where it just got absolutely obliterated. I was still thinking, well, you know, maybe it's a spent force. Electoralism aside. 
Um, and I, I again, I'm so glad to the Labour right for giving me a reason not to believe that because now I just have this thing. We know you have to you have to stay and fight because I absolutely have a, a, a like a congenital inability to let these fucking dickheads win anything ever. Um, also, I'm just going to say this too: if your hate isn't pure, just get on Twitter. There is a video where Jess Phillips on election night didn't realize the camera yes. was rolling in live. And she's like prancing about and celebrating because labor lost. And then as soon as they're like, oh, we're rolling, we're live. She goes to like, you know, stony St- face. Stella like, oh, Creasy. Really Stella Creasy was in the pub and her, her and her team were cheering every labor loss as it came on. Uh, if there is one silver lining to this election, it's that it has cleared out a lot of parliamentary labor party deadwood. Um, I feel bad though because people like Laura oh, Pitcock yeah, and Dennis Skinner sure. lost their seats, and, and, man. And That's like, the thing. Uh, Pfizer, Shaheen, so on, so on. There's like plenty of good people who deserve to be reelected and weren't, but there are also mm. plenty of people who are very happy to be put out of a job. And you know, I, mm. I, I think one of the few uh, benefits to us getting owned is that we have obliged them. Stella Creasy declared fit for work. I think, I, think, I think it's also probably worth noticing, like, even though this feels really, really shit, and like being on Twitter, like, you will kind of constantly be reminded that, like, you, you know, that we lost and that, like, this was. And you also have people who are like, oh, we warned you right from the beginning that, like, Corbyn wasn't going to, like, win it for you. Mm. Even though, like, in 2017, they were, like, eating their own words or, like, at least being very, very quiet. Yeah, and, um, and who else? One case. This is the thing about, the, about <laughs> not having a deep pool, right? Who else was gonna do it? Um, it? Would it be better that we were still doing nine? Like, if we if we were in government and we were doing ninety percent of the same things that Boris is doing with Owen Smith as prime minister, right? So this, like, so this, so this was my point because I think that like when this all happened, like the initial post mortem from like the obvious people were kind of like, oh, this was like down to Jeremy Corbyn, and it kind of works on this premise that like if Owen Smith or like David Miliband like had as like radical like as you know. Um, uh, a radical like a uh, manifesto as we did, then it would be fine because what people actually didn't like was like Corbyn the man, and like obviously that's bullshit because again we go back to just like well okay number one why didn't because like if you think about what happened in the election like Joe Swinson was really the kind of like prime ministerial candidate right like she was a like she was a technocrat she dressed well she kind of sounded the part like all the kind of stock lines were done she was the parliamentary candidate and lost and was like one of the you know possibly the only leaders that have lost her seat in recent times um they did abysmally boris like to kind of say that boris johnson is kind of prime ministerial is like really a joke and it's you know more accurate way of putting it is that no he's like cut from a class that you're like somewhat familiar with because it reminds you of like your kind of your you know your your uh your somewhat like racist grandfather absolutely Um, absolutely like uh, personality aside from the broad strokes like that doesn't matter then what they what they kind of evolved to was the idea you know so when they were trying to talk about like where labor goes next what they're actually saying is that we you know there's a lot of kind of stuff that's going around saying, you know, making fun of Corbyn and Diane Abbott for saying that, you know, the policies were really popular. But like the fact is, is that like, it's true. Like the conversations that we are having, the conversations that like, say, you know, James Bloodworth like wrote, wrote an entire book on, but is now sort of saying the platform is 
are like unpopular is you know we, without Corbyn we wouldn't be talking like a lot of you know so much about the gig economy we wouldn't talk, be talking about like you know rent like the rental economies and like vulture landlords you wouldn't be talking about like the influence of like capital so much of like the conservative agenda even kind of making the even making advances on you know we're going to invest more in stuff now whether that like manifests or not is a different question but the fact that like you know Corbyn was the one who put him in that position so the idea is that even if like Corbyn is gone you know and even if like Corbynism is kind of you know just kind of um you know in the background now but it doesn't negate the fact that like you know we did with like the arguments are still there like the arguments don't go away we still have an economy where like you know our you know the our levels of employment are largely boosted by people on like shitty freelance contracts um or like that no one can like you know no one except the super rich can kind of like afford to live even in you know a uh like moderate city right those things are still there and i just don't see like how conservatives who have been so dependent on like the you know accruing of wealth i don't know if any of you saw like the lord ashcroft poll but it basically showed that like the people who really won it for the tories were people who were over 65 and they were mostly men i.e people who like had accrued wealth who had accrued property over time and that was like the premise of like thatcherism right the idea that if you created like a nation of like homeowners if you created like created a nation of landowners then you would have this like solid base of tory support for a long time um that's fundamentally changed and now like the kind of tory strategy seems to be that they want to like retain working class votes and i sort of wonder this like how how that's going to happen like there's a part of me that kind of wonders that if this was a brexit election then a lot of these kind of red wall places that they won um were really like one-offs but whatever kind of form that labor now takes like you know, we have this period of time in which to kind of set those roots again, but also to kind of really take the fight to a party. But like at its core is not going to help these people out. Right. Yeah. At its core, the, yeah. like the, the, the one other thing that I wanted to like uh, that I would point out about personality is that a lot of the, the, the drive from the center and the right it for someone electable is backwards. Right. Like it, as far as this, this works, uh, it's it goes from the membership up. We weren't following Jeremy Corbyn. All of us were piloting him like an Eva, right? And <laughs> we, we were hoping to pilot him to Downing Street. That has obviously not worked. So now we need a new mm. thing. But like, it's it's not it's not like we were waiting for him to come along and teach us what socialism is, right? People mm. didn't. Well, people. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn may have been able to open people's eyes to what uh, a progressive government or progressive policies look like, uh, but a lot of people got there on their own and got there first and mm. then uh, were attracted to what the Labour Party was offering under him. And so if we you can strike keep me down, doing I'll that. become more powerful yes, than you can possibly absolutely. imagine. We have to do the, yeah. like, the, the fucking Ray Harryhausen effects, just a bunch of skeletons lumbering up from the grave uh, and uh, elect Dawn Butler as leader, I think. Yeah. Fuck it. You know what? Uh, Trash Future Season 2, uh, this, is, this has been your first, your first episode of, of the second volume. Yes. Um, Change the theme song. It, yeah. And uh, hey, you know what? La Lucha Continua. Yeah. That's it. It, it do That's be doing there that. Is. Yeah. It's all there is. That's what you got to say to yourself. And well, what was, what was what Tony, ben, to... Tony Ben's uh, definition of socialism was that there was an ideology without a final victory or a final defeat. That's mm. it. So, you know, uh, w we don't quite know what to do yet, but you know what? Yeah. We're, we're all going to be figuring yeah, it out. St stay, one, stay in the Labour can... Party, own people on Twitter, 
Um, absolutely do not cave to Blue Labour or the centre mm. or the right, ever. Post the shit out of this. I was going to say, yeah, exactly that. I was going to say, <laughs> no Passeran, no step backwards, keep fighting, stay in the party, <laughs> defeat the centrists again. No poster on. But more importantly, <laughs> Semper posts. tweet through it. Yes. 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 Tweet through tweet the own. Tweet through the own. Absolutely. We are all, we are all fine. We're <laughs> yeah. all actually laughing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because as I made clear in the Brendan O'Neill article at the start, it won't make these people happy. They're fucking ghouls. No, They're dead inside. True. Shit on them from a great height. Make them remember that everything culturally is against them because everything they want is shit and bad. And even the people who vote for it still hate it culturally and that they're cunts. Tell them it every day. Yes. Remind it of them. This make them the fucking one, miserable. The one Remind thing them where, they'll never where, get their fucking kids back. Superstructure has made a horrible mistake with social media and particularly Particularly with Twitter, because Twitter is the only place where you can actively tell a member of the work of the ruling class of this country that you are going to put them in a diaper and burp them like a baby, and they have to <laughs> listen to you. Hell yeah! Oh, I mean, if, 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 right. if, if, there's, uh, if there's anything that good that comes out of the like the Johnson administration, it will be about like all of us will become adult babies. Yes. Yes. Hell yeah. The, uh, the adult baby takeover is back on, everybody. <laughs> Nate, uh, t- Nate, you know what? Usually the theme song is by Jin Sang. It's called Here We Go. But uh, today, do you want to take us into something a little bit different for the mood of the time? I'll do that. I'll find something. Fucking the international bass boosters. Ra- Rage Against <laughs> no, the Machine, you've baby. All, you've all got it wrong. We're fading into it now. 